and welcome back to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Ben Standing here. Thank you guys for checking out the podcast. Sorry we cannot be talking about a Washington win. Instead, we're going to talk about a gut punch of a loss. Uh, I just spoke with uh, Les Carpenter from the Washington Post about all that went down in Washington, um, both in the game, how that how that ended so tragically for this team, but also what happened post-game with Chase Young, what we found interesting about that, where this team is going, what's realistic, what's not. Fun conversation with Les. And then I spoke with uh, the other day with uh, my colleague with the Athletic, Fred Katz, our Wizards insider, deep dive into the Wizards and the NBA draft. We spoke at length about options at number nine, where things are going with this team, got into some prospects. Um, fun chat there. So not going to dawdle too much here in the introduction. Just want to say, of course, again, appreciate everybody checking out the podcast. Make sure you subscribe. If you're an iTunes person, Swell, do that. Spotify, Stitcher, I don't know those platforms as well, but presumably you can uh, uh, sign up there. And if there's places to do to drop reviews and, and ratings, I uh, greatly appreciate it if you do that. All that helps the cause. If you want to talk to me on Twitter, I'm at Ben Standick. You want to email me at Oh, sorry, uh, bstandig at theathletic.com. If you want to uh, drop by my house, don't do that. That would be kind of weird. But uh, I look forward to chatting with you guys in any form that I can that is reasonably and in this era, socially distance. Uh, I guess the podcast counts as that. So uh, anyway, <laughs> we can be connected uh, through some uh, through some headphones and whatnot. Uh, so uh, a, a, a fun chat here. Well, I don't know. Yeah, I enjoyed both chats with Les, who is, uh, well, actually, hold on. What is Les's email or uh, Twitter handle? Hold on. Okay, yeah, Les is at Les Carpenter and Fred is at Fred Katz. It's weird when, and I'm at Ben Standing. It's weird when everybody just has the at and their name. Very unusual combination. Uh, I will just add quickly here, since I didn't get into it with Les, uh, I, I reported that uh, DeShazer Everett, who left the game, suffered a high ankle sprain, according to sources doesn't i don't know where that leaves him from a timeline perspective but if that's the way it plays out you know typically those things can can take a couple of weeks so we'll see what that means uh for for him obviously washington would be it was already without landon collins that would hurt to lose a guy who's proven to be a hard-hitting um threat deep in the secondary uh beyond that we'll have to see cornelius lucas left the game with an ankle injury as well don't have a, a, a update on him ron rivera didn't have that but We'll get into most of the game stuff here with Les right now. And then, again, stay tuned if you're interested in the NBA draft. The draft is Wednesday. Fred and I talked at length about the Wizards and draft prospects. But we're going to start with what happened Sunday night in Detroit. Uh, myself and Les Carpenter from the Washington Post here on the Standing Room Only podcast. All right. So I am uh, home for this one. I did not make the road trip. My, my guest here is on the road. He was in Detroit. He's currently in a hotel room. We're talking over Zoom. He's in a hotel room. It looks like they didn't pay the power bill or it almost looks like he's like in like a, it's like he's, it's almost like he's in a photograph from like the 1930s and he can't get it. He's trapped in. I can't really tell, but it, it is Les Carpenter. I can see him. Uh, what, uh, how, how is it going? Is, is life uh, better over there than your dark, view appears like it is <laughs> it was a yeah, dark day I, for washington if i had a little more energy i try and do it in 1930s uh cadence and voice but uh i don't think anybody would really want to hear that 
So uh, yeah, it's fine. I have a nice, a beautiful hotel room here in an old building in Detroit, looking over Comerica Park. Life is perfect. <laughs> well, look, I mean, on some level, your you like I said, your uh, view, your scene, your vibe, sort of uh, goes with the game because was was that the, was that the biggest? Well, what, what was more gut punchy, that or the or the Giants game when Rivera goes for two? I feel like it was this one in part because you had the whole Alex. Smith oh yeah, yeah, it was this one. It was this one yeah. because the end of the Giants game was was ending on a positive note. Yes, they didn't get the two point conversion, but they were pushing there. They were they were trying to they were trying to win the game. This one they were headed to overtime. It was. Yeah, I, I you almost wonder why were the Lions even trying? I thought maybe they'd almost take a knee and just go into overtime. I, I didn't know. I wasn't thinking enough that at that point. Uh, and then all of a sudden, boom, there's that penalty. You know, it was over. An underchase young penalty happened. And uh, yeah, yeah, it just that's that is a terrible, terrible, terrible way to lose. I mean, brutal. I mean, I'm assuming anybody who is listening to a Washington football team themed podcast is aware of what happened but just to set it up so they're, they're down 24 to 3 uh, in the third quarter but Alex Smith br brings them back the Lions go Lions and they blow leads and Washington doesn't do, does what it normally doesn't do you know rally completely uh, all the way they, they tie it up Alex Smith you know way over 300 yards uh, you know the, the defense stood up against Detroit and they tie the game with like 21 seconds left I want to say was on the clock uh, the kickoff goes, Detroit takes over with 16 seconds left. Like you said, they, you know, they're in their regular territory. It didn't look like anything was going to be that impressive. And I, I don't have the play-by-play play by in front of me, play-by-play play in front of me, but I think first play, Stafford goes to pass, throws the ball, and Chase Young comes in. It wasn't the world's most vicious hit. This wasn't Charles Martin on Jim McMahon, his skewel, but um, he pushes him blatant. It's right in front of everybody at, at a point when you're everybody's paying attention to what's happening. And they, they give him the 15-yard penalty. Uh, it was like, I think, like eight seconds left. Next play, Stafford throws a quick short pass to Marvin Jones for nine yards, sets up Matt Prater for a 59-yard field goal. <laughs> Boom, he actually makes it. And they lose when, like you said, it looked like they were going to overtime. You had this great comeback story. I mean, Alex Smith's first start in two years. He, he was on the verge of, you know, the, the, the literal Hollywood ending everybody's been kind of waiting for. And then... <laughs> and then that 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 all happened. Um, what was it like, sort of uh, being there and watching that uh, unfold in front of you? You know, it's funny because these things, when they happen, it often is so sudden. Uh, it takes you a second to sort of realize, uh oh, wow, that that penalty is going to that's actually going to cost them here because now they can get to a field goal. Yeah, you know, before that penalty, you thought, well, this is going to be impossible. Now suddenly Detroit's got got a field goal, so all of a sudden it's happening quickly, and then it's over. And then, of course, because it's so decisive, a lot of the Washington players just left the field, so it wasn't even much of a million round on the field. It was just everybody just took off. And uh, the you know it makes it odd. And you've been at some of the games, uh, so you would understand this. I, I, you know, it's it's an empty stadium, uh, and I, there was I guess a few hundred uh, friends and family kind of like they've had a couple times at FedEx Field uh, that were, but they were below us and you couldn't see them from where our press box was. Uh, it, it just, you, the emptiness of the stadium couldn't be ignored in this game because our press box was at the top of the field. Usually say when we're at FedEx Field, we're down low. You're kind of in a bunker. You don't really see the whole empty stadium. 
there we were in an open air press box uh, at the very top of the stadium. So you just see this enormous cavernous empty stadium in front of you. And then kind of this, this, this team running around celebrating on the field. Uh, so it was all just very surreal. I, I think that's perhaps the way I would say it was a weird day all along. It's been a weird season. Uh, you know, it's obviously been weird with this team. Uh, but that just that whole scene, that empty stadium, that team running around celebrating the sudden turn where this was going to overtime and then suddenly it isn't all of that. I just think made the whole thing be seen incredibly surreal. Uh, so gut punch, as you were talking about with the Giants game, yes, much more so, but also just by far the most surreal thing that I've seen on the field yet this year with this team. Yeah, um, the, the, the zombie football games, as I call it, some of those first games at FedEx Field when there were no fans is, is a bizarre experience. And yeah, to have a game like that, I'm sure, where it's so dramatic in the end, <laughs> there's nobody there to, to, to make the, 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 the expected noise uh, is, is uh, super bizarre. Um, I don't want to dwell on the game. Look, Washington struggled again at the start. This is not surprising. They, they made a little bit of a comeback. And we'll get to the Alex Smith part of it in a second because that's what you wrote about. But I wanted to get to a couple of things that were at least slightly unique or different. Now, one of them was um, Case Young after the game. I didn't think much about it at the time. But, like, we got a handful of players after the game. When, we're, when they are on the road, it's a little unsure what we're going to get. You're going to get the coach. You're going to get the quarterback. And then it's who knows for sure. Um, we ended up getting Isaiah Wright was the first guy out there. I'm sure they just needed somebody to get out there while they waited for Alex Smith. And, you know, they took him. Jonathan Allen talked. And then uh, Alex Smith talked. And then with Chase Young was last, right? Yeah, Chase Young was last. And, you know, that was a surprise. I didn't now that they would do that, as you said, on the road, they tend to be very rushed, have to get to an airport. There's a very tight schedule. This is most NFL teams, not just this one. Uh, and they tend not to want to dawdle and have a lot of Zoom press conferences with the media. As you said, it's it's often just been Ron Rivera. It's been the quarterback and maybe one other player. So, uh, yeah, to get a couple other guys was interesting. Uh, but to actually get Chase Young... Uh, I thought it was good. And it was a very good question that was asked. I think it was, uh, it was Heather McDonough from Channel 4 asked the question uh, about, um, you know, Chase, did you, did you choose to come out here or did someone tell you to come out here? And, you know, I, I thought that was, an, I, I, I just thought it was key. You know, the fact he was out there, it seemed to be under, as I understand it, something that he at least wanted to do. Uh, I'm sure it was suggested to him by a few people. Uh, you know, but the fact that he went out there and did that, I thought was key. Uh, I thought it was good that the organization did that too. Uh, he is the face of the, what's going to happen here. You know, he's the player that I think they're going to try and build around, obviously. And he can't hide. He, he just, you can't have a guy like that high, even if he's a rookie, you know, it's just, it's, you know, he's, he's too important. And I thought to come out there and face it and say, look, I screwed up. It was a dumb decision. He said that a few, a few times, rookie mistake, I think was his line. I thought that was key. I thought that was really important. Uh, you, for someone of that magnitude to just come up there and say, look, I made a mistake. I think that bodes well for the kinds of things that they're, they're trying to teach here going down the road. The culture, as you know, we've heard a lot that Ron Rivera talks about. You need to have players be responsible and, and, and willingly seem to come forward because there would be every reason for him to hide and not come out when there's a Zoom and no one could chase him down. Right. Yeah, for sure. And like, I, um, I, I agree. I agree with all that. 
but like I was thinking about it, like, and this was uh, my mishmash mishmash of an article will be up at some point. I guess it's probably up by the time you, you people hear this. At least it better be, unless the editors have to do that much work. Um, but uh, but like the, the, the gist of it for me, and I'll get to more of this in a second. But was basically that like the only people who were you know dumbfounded right now by where this team is at are the people who had unrealistic expectations from the beginning. They basically, as the Dennis Green line is, they are who we thought they were. But there are things that you can learn along the way that the, that they are actually that they can learn along the way. And I think that Chase Young speaking as he did, I think is one of the things that you can take positive from. And what, what, I, what I came to think about it in that moment was, or I should say after that moment was, it's not so much that he came out and spoke because realistically, that's what your star players should do. I've always said, I mean, uh, you know, with John Wall and the Wizards, regardless of what anybody wants to say about him, he shows up every single game after the game, win, lose, or draw, and, and speaks to the media. LeBron James does that. That's what people, if you, if you it's not just you want to be a star, you, this is the deal. If you, it should be almost innate. And I think also for this organization, let's be realistic. It has not been the expectation for people in this organization. I'm not talking about anybody currently on the team or currently anybody in the coaching staff. I'm just talking about what's been around here in previous times. And look, Bruce Allen never talked. That was like one of the whole deals. He barely, he talked like once or twice a year. He always ducked out. And even when he talked, it was spin, spin, spin. So Chase Young isn't the same as the team executive. But my point is, if he, if, if the, like, see what you're saying, if the understanding is, hey, this is how we're going to do things. Ron Rivera is accountable. He does, I mean, obviously he has to talk, but he doesn't talk in nonsense. He at least delivers what he thinks is, the truth or an answer when we ask him questions and Chase Young did the same thing today. I think things like that are realistically positive. I know people are going, screw that. <laughs> Where's a goddamn win? But I can't help you there. <laughs> but it's things like this that are realistic will help them going forward, I think. And that to me was something that I that I, that I thought stood out. Um, the, the other thing I sort of wrote about was for the love of God, everybody stop this NFC East crap. This talk of that. Because even though technically nothing's changed, the Eagles lost, Meaning, you know, because the Giants beat them. So Washington is still a game and a half behind and you, we could still have the same talk. It is so insane because I don't, you know, this idea of making the playoffs, no matter what, is preposterous. If you can't contend, then I don't want to hear about it. And realistically, we should accept the fact that this is a team that has two wins only over teams that had decimated offensive lines. Those are the only games that they won this year. They could realistically be over if the Eagles and Dallas were healthy. I know that's not how this game works. So to me, like one of the other things was, <laughs> I don't care so much that they lost, but please just accept the fact that this is where they are as they've been all year. A team, a rebuilding team, trying to figure it out, a young team with a coach in the first year during a pandemic, there was nothing ever that suggested they were going to be good or win, but somehow we've all gotten, not we, but collectively the talk has been about something beyond that because Ron Rivera injected the division talk a few weeks ago and it's silly and it needs to end and hopefully it does today. Yeah. Well, I, I did a couple of things there. First of all, just to bounce back, go back just for a second to uh, to Chase Young. Uh, one of the thought I would have on this is it would have been very easy for him not to have done that today. It's the Zoom. Uh, you're only doing a couple players. Uh, the team could have just said, "Look, you know, he, you know, we just couldn't get him. Uh, we got to get to the." airport sorry and maybe during the week they put him on and you know you talk to him and nobody would think anything of it nobody would think anything less of him I think the fact that he went out there specifically to do that today and even if it was suggested hey maybe you should do this the fact that he went and did it I think says something one about 
him and who he is and what, you know, presumably he could be here. But I also think it says, again, it's, it's something about what you're trying to build here and it's a positive sign. Um, as for the division talk, you know, and I, you and I disagree on this a little bit. I think as long as there's a possibility to win a division, you try to win a division. I think if you have to win a division at, you know, six and 10, five and 11, and you can do it, you win a division at six and 10 and five and 11, because it's winning a division and it gets you into the, it, whatever. It's a positive thing. It's a good thing. Uh, I also would push back a little bit on the idea of they are who we thought they were. Yes, they're two and seven. You know, they're, you asked us before the season, you know, does two and seven with this talent, what you think and where it is right now? Eh, I wouldn't be stunned, but, you know, they probably, they should have gone to overtime today. Uh, they could easily have won the Giants, the first Giants game, maybe even the second one, but certainly the first one. Uh, I, I still think, even though the score wound up lopsided, that that they were beating Cleveland and they had a chance to really beat Cleveland. I don't know that that would have happened. I'm just saying, uh, you know, there's a few games there that are very, very close that they could have won. And I, yes, it's this is a two and seven team, but I, I you know, I feel like the, the pushing for the division isn't a bad thing. I think, I think that's giving them something to chase. I think that's giving some, them something to play for. I think that's giving young players a taste of let's go get something, even if it doesn't feel like there's much to get right now. And you're, you're not winning a lot of games. You're still feeling like you're pursuing something. It's not a, a lost cause that you're playing for some elusive future. I mean, this isn't, I, I, I always, and I use, I used it today in a copy talking about the future, but I think football is very much a game of the moment. Uh, you just never know when someone's going to get hurt, when career's going to be over, whatever. You don't really play. Guys on the field aren't playing for 2024 They might the way they might be in another sport. They're playing for today, and they're playing for the moment. And so I, I, I have no problem with them trying to pursue it, still pursuing the division, still feeling they got a chance. Um, you know, it's not like you're playing a whole bunch of – veterans that have no hope and future here you're playing a whole bunch of young kids and if if you're telling a whole bunch of young kids hey let's go chase a division title why not sure well so so yeah. just to be you're clear not on one thing wasting, you're not well, i was just this way you're not wasting youth you're playing you know the undrafted isaiah Wright. you're playing cam sims you're playing some of these young guys on the defense they're, they're, you're not saving anyone for tomorrow. Everyone pretty much is playing, except for maybe a couple exceptions, I'd say, on the offensive line, a couple other places that guys in the draft. Uh, you're playing all your guys that you think could be your future. So, so just to clarify on one thing, like, I'm not saying, I don't, my, my, what I basically wrote was, I don't give a crap what they say. I get what they're trying to do, and that's fine if they want to talk to that, although I was happy that, like, Jonathan Allen in particular did sort of say, screw this division talk. We need to worry about tomorrow, you know, the Bengals and everything else can go to go away. Yeah. I, I'm just talking about from the outside people. Everybody else seems to be realistic about what, what's going on here, because I, if they make the playoffs, it could be beneficial to them to simply from like uh, having, you know, even if you are a crappy team and you win the big game at the end of the year, uh, whatever it is to make the playoffs, that does have some merit building forward. I'm just That's saying for it. those of us on the yeah. outside. Just stop. I, all, all the people who set up unrealistic expectations and then get mad when they don't, when the team falls short of them, are the ones setting up false hope for themselves and for others. And honestly, that includes people in the media. 
that also a lot includes a lot of fans. It's just it's stupid and it's a waste of our it's a waste of our lives. Um, but anyway, so I'm happy. But if they want to go for it, sure. I don't whatever Ron Rivera wants to say, great. Just like a politician, I don't have to believe it. <laughs> but that's what he says. Fine. I mean, you know that he's got a job to do. His job is to keep these guys motivated. Whatever that whatever that really means. Well, um, I would say that. Well, I would say this too. I mean, you know, one feeling I have from this team is I don't think it's that far away. Uh, I'm surprised by that in some ways. I think you'd said that Isaiah Wright and Cam Sims are going to be big parts of the offense. Oh, that, yeah, you're, you're forcing some. That's not going to happen, but yet they have been. You're going to say that Alex Smith was playing quarterback and playing well? I'd have laughed. Of course he's not going to, but he is. Uh, you know, the, there's always these halves. There's some bad first halves mixed with good second halves. You could see part. So the defense playing well, secondary played well, except on a couple of mistakes today, you know, a couple of things that happened today, but for the most part, I thought secondary played well, has played well, uh, off and on the front plays well. I mean, you see all these kind of things coming together. I almost feel like this team isn't that far away. And I still think again, again, maybe I'm basing it too much on what Ron Rivera did in, in Carolina, but Ron Rivera teams tended to come together late in the year. And I keep feeling like that run is there. I'm a little surprised because I thought the run might've come in now uh, because the schedule would have been favorable to it. But I do feel at some point there will be some kind of a run, might be a miniature run of three games, whatever, but there is some kind of a run I feel in this team. I could be wrong. I could be way overly optimistic. I do feel like that, that could be there. Yeah. And like, I don't, I, 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 again, to me, it's always, it's just about keeping reality. There is a lot of interesting stuff with this team, you know, Chase Young, Terry McLaurin, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, so on. And uh, look, here's the thing. The NFL is all about tight games. Every single team, no matter who they are, has half their games, or if not more, are like decided by, you know, one score or less. And it's just a matter of the, the teams that win, win, and the teams that lose, lose. And it, it's, it, and you know, Washington still has tons of questions. We don't really know about the quarterback situation moving forward. The offense needs a bunch of other pieces. I mean, the offensive line got beat up again today to the point that Morgan oh. Moses moved from the right side to the left side, which is bizarre to see that. Um, and look, this defense that while ranked in the top 10, you know, still gives up, still gives up a bunch of points. It gives up a bunch of big plays. The, the Lions, they weren't as proficient running the ball in the second half, but still average, I think, over five yards or around five yards a carry. So it's not that they're not close to doing something, but they're equally as close to doing nothing because that's how the NFL works. And until they, even this year, if they start to win some games, like if they beat the Bengals and they beat Dallas, and then that leads into more, then I'm happy to have a conversation about positive, positive vibes this season. Until that happens, they're just a team that's learning to win, which is fine and realistic, but then that's it. Um, All right, we only have a few minutes here with Les Carpenter before the rest of his lights and his, his hotel room turn off completely. And he goes to, to zonk out and uh, dream about the Dodgers winning the world series again. Um, let's get through a couple of things here really quick. You wrote about Alex Smith. People should go read it. Whatever less writes is always really good. Uh, I have not read it yet, but the, the, the basic gist was, the, I think you're obviously Alex Smith had a, a, a really good game forget the context of the, the injuries, although that's impossible. I mean, he threw for over 300 yards. Uh, you know, he did a really good, um, he did a really good job. Actually, last, hold on one sec. Hold on. So, I mean, look, Alex Smith played well, regardless of the fact that he had this crazy 
comeback, as we all know, his first start in almost two years and all that stuff. That said, you know, part of this, con what's confusing about this team is, <laughs> what does it all really mean with him? Is he, you know, is, is he, is this a great story in the context of the injury or is this a guy who realistically is doing enough for us to think he can be the starter next year? I have been wrong with every single aspect of this Alex Smith story. <laughs> I probably have never been more wrong about any, any sports aspect in my entire life uh, than this. I cannot realistically understand how anybody's viewing him as the starter for next year, but then he has a game like this. I'm like, well, I, I, I don't know what to make anymore. So in, I, don't, I don't want to step on your, 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 your article or column. People should go read it. But what's, the, what's your gist of that? Is Alex Smith realistically, whatever we're seeing, one start, a couple of relief appearances, is he doing enough for us to realistically view him as a guy who can be the starter next year? Well, that's the question I raised. And, and to me, it was – he had a great line today. He said something like he said it's uh, – and, and as an aside, I, I mean, Alex sometimes I felt like could – tried very hard to be to uh, you know to to not be very revealing uh in the year that he was starting uh you know he just he's that's not him uh i feel since the injury and since he's come back and been playing this year that, that there's usually one or two things in a press conference with him that that's very interesting and very revealing and today uh today it was you know he said something i can't remember the word it was he said scary he said it was scary how normal today felt i mean the guy is starting a football game for the first time in 728 days i mean that is that is momentous and yet it just didn't it just felt so normal just well, there's alex smith he's out there he's leading a comeback he almost won the game and you know it's uh, you know it uh, you you know just watching him today and seeing him work with this young group of receivers and work so flawlessly was flawlessly with them in that second half uh, and watching how he's, he's just able to sort of guide them along and just very calmly move through all of this. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's been in the back of my mind. Gee, could we be looking at Alex Smith down the road? That's not a real possibility. Is it today? I'm looking at it. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Why, why, why wouldn't he maybe be? I mean, why, why, you know, if he keeps playing like this, yeah, maybe by, you know, next year you go into the next year with him as the starter. Uh, I, you know, I don't know who knows where it ends up with Dwayne Haskins. I do think that they, there seems to be a possibility of Dwayne getting another shot here. Um, I do get the sense that they would like to at least maybe try and keep him through the off season and see what they can do with that. I don't know if that would that's serious or not, but that seems to be a thought process. You're saying keep, uh, keep, keep Dwayne through, through the offseason, through next offseason? Yeah, we'll see. I mean, that, that was one thing I had been told. It was one thing I had been told when they didn't trade him. Hold on. I'm keeping tally what people say. Les Carpenter predicts Dwayne Haskins. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I don't know if I would predict it because who knows where it all ends. I'm just saying that, you know, I, I think the thought process before this game was, well, you know, will Dwayne get that? I still think that there could be – we, we may not have seen the end of Dwayne here. I you know, But – I, I do think watching Alex today, watching him move around, yes, he's 36, but 36 isn't 40. Um, yes, he's had this injury, but gosh, that leg looks good. I mean, he's got a rod in his leg. He's got, uh, he's got this brace that, that allows him to, to run and move and do these things. Uh, and he took shot after shot in the first half. I don't know if they were all visible on TV. Um, he took some hits. 
And then, you know, he's taken some hits in the other two games he played. He took a lot of hits in that first game he played. And he seems to be getting up from all of them pretty easily. And it makes you think, yeah, you know, why not? You know, I mean, what better leader for a young group of receivers, I guess, and, and, and players than, than Alex Smith. And if he can pull that, to, that group together, then, yeah, maybe he could play for a couple of years uh, and be the guy here and be a bridge to something else. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's certainly more plausible today, that, you know, when recording this tonight after the game than it was this morning walking into the stadium. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, we'll have plenty of more to talk about that because, look, he's going to be starting, I think, present for the foreseeable future. If they, it'll be fascinating if they, you know, lose, say, these next couple of games or you know, lose to the Bengals, even if you beat Dallas, and then the schedule gets harder. At what point do they say, okay, this 2020 season, even for those of us thinking about the postseason, winning the division is effectively over then what? Because if you really are keep interested in keeping Dwayne Haskins around, logically you should go back there, but I don't know if I believe that Rivera actually wants that, so we'll have to see how that plays out, but again, the Alex Smith story is amazing. I'm sure Les's story on it is really good, so go read that. Um, I gotta get Les out of here, but like I'm, I'm, I'm still running the show, and he's, I'm making, I'm holding him hostage for a minute. I got yeah, to we'll do some rapid fire stuff. We, 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 we can talk, it's okay. We, we, are you ready? We got some rapid fire stuff. Rapid uh, fire, okay. When, when, you, when you come back for the full deep dive the less carpenter years we'll, we'll, we'll do more of this randomness but for now we'll just go the mini version you want your podcast to actually be something people listen to so you may not want you may not want to go for that that uh that could oh, be a very no. boring that could be a very boring hour for you oh no i've seen behind the curtain i'm a, i know I, I know where to go all right first question i ask everybody is who is the one person that you wish followed you on twitter that doesn't <laughs> nobody follows me on twitter Oh man, I, who would be the one person I would thought? You know what? I'll say this: there's a legion of great writers. Very few of them follow me on Twitter. Uh, all the top writers in this business do not follow me. The real, the just the great writers, uh, except for the ones I work with at the Post, and they, I probably because they feel obligated, they follow me. Uh, but I would, I would love to see some of those, uh, some of those giants in the industry, actually, actually acknowledge to know who I am. Anyone in particular? I couldn't think of one right now, but there would be many of them. Mm. Pretty much, you go down the list. All the big giants—they none of them follow me. So. so Chris Russell. Yeah, there you go. I don't even think Chris Russell follows me. I don't know. Uh, I'll have to look. I'm sure Chris. <laughs> but I, I mean, but I'm talking like you know some of these guys. You know, some of just the top, top, top. I'm not even talking about sports journalists. I'm just talking about the writers. You know, and right. yeah, none of them right. follow. Yeah. All right. Well, well, I'm just gonna go Jack. It'd be McCallum. happy day if one did. I'm gonna go Jack McCallum and, and call it a day. Uh, all right. Um, you are to me. I'm not saying in the world, but to me, the far most coffee aficionado I am aware of. <laughs> if you were to, if there was, if you were to describe the Washington football team season to this point via coffee, what coffee would it be? Oh man. <laughs> um, it would have to be it would it, you know what it would have to be starbucks because i'm not a starbucks guy anymore i you know when i was my younger days and my when i was living in seattle i was a starbucks guy but uh i um i would i would have to say it's starbucks because you you know you're gonna you know you're 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 hoping for something and then you get it and it's just not there for 
for you. All right, I, 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 I like it, I like it. Um, uh, all right, I'm gonna skip, I'll just go back to the football team because we, I, I don't wanna keep you too long. Oh, uh, what was the other one you had? You obviously had one you wanted to ask. <laughs> well, okay, fine. Um, you, uh, we all, no matter who you are as a writer, you, you have moments where you're like, oh my God, I can't do this anymore. Is there a story that you look back on that you've written at any point in your career? You've written for all kinds of really interesting places. You've written a lot of good stuff. Is there any one article when you have those moments you look back on and say, okay, I look at this article, think, oh wait, I actually did this once. This is this, I can draw inspiration from my own work. You have one story that you did that? One story that I wrote that I would go back and say that whenever I'm kind of struggling with something, I could say, well, I wrote this story. Yeah. Hmm. I can explain easily. I don't, yeah. Ah. Uh, I think it goes by situation. I think when you're in a situation of a particular type of story, if it's a profile, I might go back to a profile that worked out. Uh, what's so, a, so let's say it's a profile. What's a profile story that you've done that you would go back to? There's different ones at different times. That's what's hard. I, I you know, when I pull back, I just didn't, since I've been back at the Washington Post for three years, one that I did a couple of years ago that I really enjoyed uh doing um was uh was on Trent Dilfer uh going back to coach at a high school in uh, in Nashville just kind of just deciding that's something he wanted to do uh and he's not only just going to go back and coach at a high school he's going to turn it into the best high school football program in the country and get all the best prospects and everything and he's well you know he's working hard toward that uh and you know he secretly trained two of there this uh this winter uh, but I go back to that one a, a little bit since I've been back at the post because it's one I did at the post that kind of, you know, I was able to sort of get into his head a little bit and and kind of see, you know, a guy at that at a point in his life in his early 40s trying to figure out what was next and really making a big leap at something uh, that was an unknown. No, that was a, that was a really good one. I don't really read a lot of stuff, but I, I read that one. That was really uh, that was really good. Um, Okay, back to the football team. Uh, we, I mean, we've talked about some of the. We've talked about you know Chase Young. Obviously, everybody's aware of the defensive line. Uh, you know, maybe it's Ron Rivera. I don't know. You can pick something up, something big or something small. What's one thing you think that, that you feel optimistic about with this thing that they're actually going to turn this around? Not that they could turn it around because anybody could turn it around, but they actually will turn it around despite the 20 years under Dan Snyder, despite this general, how hard it is to win, what, what's, the, what's the one thing you think will actually, is what gives you reason to think they actually will turn it around? You know, I, I, it's gonna be what I thought from the moment, you know, at the end of last season, uh, the hiring of Rivera. Uh, I, I really kind of believe that, given what's kind of happened here over the last couple decades, the coaches that have come and gone, uh, I thought for different reasons, each one was maybe the wrong guy uh except for maybe joe gibbs uh just because of who he was and the and the deference that he would have gotten from snyder um but i think rivera is probably the closest thing to a good fit uh someone that can relate well to people relate well to an owner relate well to everyone else and the public uh comes with a pedigree 
uh, and probably has the personality that that can push a team and, and drive a team. So that kind of mix between disciplinarian and, you know, and, and players coach uh, that they've never fully struck here. Uh, they either had one or the other. Uh, so I, I kind of would, I, I just think that if it can't work with Rivera, who's it going to work with? Uh, that's, that's been my thought since the moment they hired him and it hasn't changed. If, if this guy, if they can't win with this guy, then I don't know how they're going to win here. So that's my belief. Uh, and I've seen enough signs that says that to me, I still think they could turn it around here, even this year, a little bit. Um, you know, this team fights. That's the one thing that just jumps at me. This team has fought like some of the other, a lot of the other teams here have it in recent years. It's a fighting two and seven. And yes, the record isn't good, but these games are fights. I mean, at the game today, you would thought, you know, they'd pack it up at halftime, forget it. No, they, they came back. They came back and said, this team always is fighting. And so that, you know, all of that, I put under the umbrella around Rivera and I just say that would be the one thing. I think Rivera can win here. If he can't, then I don't know who's going to win here. Um, yeah, no, that's a fair point. I, I wrote a, a, a week or so ago about like in terms of the fight that like it's one thing to have talent. That's not enough. You have to have talented players that understand what it takes to win and are coachable. And I use the example. I mean, it's insane. I'm not comparing the two and seven Washington football team to the San Antonio Spurs under Tim Duncan or the Patriots under Tom with Tom Brady, but it is that type of thing. If you have your best player is the most, the hardest worker and the most coachable, you have a shot. Chase Young, Terry McLaurin, does those two guys, and you can maybe point to one or two others. I think give them a shot at that combined with a coach who appears to be highly competent and a leader of men, uh, which is none of that means they'll win. Football is hard, injuries and circumstances, like you said before, you never know, but there's some ingredients that can make me think they could. And that's about more <laughs> like, so I, that, that's somebody pointed to like the, the comments Jonathan Allen made after the game about, uh, you know, we just have to block everything out and focus on what we're doing. And people are like, yeah, we hear this every year. I'm like, the difference is that this year, I actually think there's something to it. Where in the previous year, it was a joke because everything was a rudderless ship. And actually I do think that there's something here. Yeah. I mean, look, every once in a while, any bad team can have a good comeback. Uh, you know, anyone can come back from 24 to three and, you know, and fight back to tie the game. This team has come back from 17, seven, 17, three, 17, nothing, 24, three, a lot this year. Uh, you know, and yeah, the, the results haven't been there outside of the opener uh, in those comebacks, but it's happened. And I, I, I feel like so many of these teams in the past, they go down three, nothing and never come back and win. Uh, you know, I think there was that one year, 2018. I don't think they, they ever uh, won a game that they trailed uh, and in all their wins, they never did trail. Uh, so I, I, yeah, that, that fight this year is, is really, is really striking to me. Uh, and I just, I, it's something. I don't know what it is right now, but it's something. Uh, and you know, we'll we'll see. But I definitely, I definitely see a fight in this team that I have not seen from other teams here or other bad. You know, other teams with bad records. Usually, a team with bad record, they roll over and that's it. The Giants have a little bit of this too, and you're starting to see them turn the corner a bit. Um, 
but this one, this team has that too. And I, and I think that bodes well for the future. I actually think the Giants are now the team that beat in the division, except when you look at their schedule, just like Philly, just like Washington to a degree, the schedule is so horrendous. I don't know. I don't know how they can win. I think the Eagles, by the way, have the inside track simply because they have two games left in the division and the Giants only have one. <laughs> so, so there's two games Philly can win. The Giants only have one. The other games, uh, good luck to uh, to everybody. You know, um, again, I, I kind of like, again, the you know, we talk about the culture here and I do, I do see signs of it. That's the fight I'm talking about. I, I feel like that culture around the Giants, I, I, some of the moves that have been made, you know, Joe Judge was kind of an unknown uh, going in and, I think everyone's kind of looking, well, what's this going to be? It's going to be another Belichick clone. And, and he is his own guy. And I think it has, I think he has put his own imprint on that. I think the golden tape move was a sign of that. Uh, and yeah, I kind of like what they're doing a little bit too. I, I kind of looking ahead projecting, I, I can easily see, you know, perhaps maybe Washington and New York kind of fighting a little bit of, you know, as a rivalry at the top of that division, if if the two teams continue to build a little bit, I think the cultures that both of them are building are are, are kind of interesting. And and to that point, the fact that people are focusing on Rivera benching Haskins in terms of the context of well, this is a young quarterback and uh, you're messing with them, messing him up. I think there's other context is Rivera is telling this team, hey, here's the deal. This is what it means to be a member of this team, and if you want to play here, you're going to do these things. And in the long haul, that may be to his benefit uh, if, if, if everybody agrees. And for the most part, we haven't heard too many people balking at the idea of that, of him having done that move. So it's sort of in the context of what you're saying with, with Joe Judge. Um, all right, I gotta get you out of here, but here, here's the last question. This is the most important one. You're on a, you're in a boat oh. and uh, it, you, you, the boat capsized. I always go and, one question too much. Yeah, all right, go ahead. the boat capsized and, you, and, but you get back in, but you can only get one person back in the boat and your other two post colleagues are in the water. Sam Fortier and Nikki Jabala, but you can only get one back in. You have to pick one who it is. Now, if you want to get out of this without answering, you have to retweet my story. It's up to you. Why don't you can, you can answer no, my question. No, I can answer it very easily. I, I you know, well, uh, with the Washington Post, man, there's no man left behind. We're taking them both. Uh, even that even a, if it means, even if it means I drown with them both, I'm trying to save them both. That is a total. And you know what? Out. I will save them both. Uh, okay. Well, that that's a total total cop out. Very uninteresting to to my to what I'm looking for. But all right, it's what no, do? no. I, I I it's 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 an equal fight to save them both. That said, I can't swim, and those two are great swimmers. So I think you, that they'd be the ones saving me. You actually can't swim. I actually can't swim. Really? Why? Had you never learned? No, I just I. You know, Did you grow up kid. in California? I'm a little kid in California. I used to swim all my friends' swimming pools, and I don't know what happened. But uh, wow. yeah, I didn't, I've, I've lost the ability to swim. That was one of the things I was going to try and do in the pandemic, learn to swim at our pool. I go to a pool with my wife and my kids and they all swim. And I was saying to my, I just splash around in the shallow end. I was, said, you know, one of the, you know, I was going to take some lessons and then, I don't know, this Washington team had a lot of drama this summer, kept me busy. I didn't have time to take swimming lessons. So maybe next summer I'll take some swimming lessons. All right. Well, and then we if do- you fall out of the boat, I'll try and save you too. Well, what, when we do the deep dive into Les Carpenter, we may have to go back into the swimming. See, get that deep dive swimming. Okay, yeah. enough. Uh, <laughs> thanks, have, man. I might I appreciate have to wear water wings for that one. <laughs> thanks. Go, go read Les's uh, Alex Smith story and read all his stuff. It's always good. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks, man. It was fun. All right, and let's not uh, dawdle here. Uh, 
we'll transition right into my conversation with Fred Katz uh, talking about the Washington Wizards and Wednesday's NBA draft. I will just say uh, I did talk to some people around the NBA over the last few days. Um, I, you know, realistic. And so Fred and I talked, I should say, I believe on Thursday. So it's been a couple of days. Nothing much has changed, but I had a chance to sort of catch up a little bit more than I did where Fred and I had talked. Uh, my, my sense around the league, not that this is too surprising, is that the Wizards are really not open to, to moving Bradley Beal. You know, I guess if somebody blows you away, you, you, you go from there. But right now, it doesn't seem like that's remotely realistic in any way, shape or form. And um, the big question is going to be what happens for the Wizards uh, with the number nine pick. Uh, the, 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 uh, you know, the, there's a couple of players that seem to be good fits. The kid from USC, Fred and I will talk about the, the, the shot blocking uh, center, Onyeku. Oh, crap. I probably sure I just butchered that name. Fred had to tell me how to say it. Um, in any event, um, it feels like he might be end up going higher than where the Wizards are picking at nine, in which case kind of opens them up for a bunch of different options, maybe even trading down. That to me would be fascinating, but I don't know if, I don't know if that seems like a likely move as well. In any event, I may tweet out some of the things I learned from, from different teams. So you can check that out on Twitter um, at Ben Standick. Other than that, plenty to get into. Fred is definitely on top of everything. You should read his stuff, of course, on The Athletic. So let's get into it right now. My conversation with Fred Katz at Fred Katz on Twitter here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. Um, I, I did an article today on The Athletic, Fred, in which I talked to uh, Ron Rivera, the Washington football team head coach, and some players about what it what the Zoom experience is like for them. Um, you know, we always talk about it from our perspective, but we don't ask what they're doing, so I wrote about that. And, and, and Rivera mentioned, like, he likes looking at the backgrounds to try to see what's going on, and he said one guy... He like he had a pretty uh, he's got like a lot of memorabilia and a pretty fancy background. You you got a you got a not bad background. There's like I mean I'm not saying it's like like I'm not saying it's like Hall of Fame, but like it's it, there's like stuff. You've got a bunch of pictures. It's like one of those old New York City type or out of us New York City, but it's like an old city type picture. You've got like a a, a fancy microphone going on. Like your, your your background's not bad. We got something. We got a little something here. We've got like things in the background. I'm I'm in a home office. I've I've got my blue Yeti microphone. I'm I'm good to go. I'm also dressed up in the shirt that I plan on sleeping in tonight and 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 sweatpants. I'm I'm all good to go. Does anybody wear clothes anymore that they're not sleeping in? I sometimes I don't even wear clothes. Well, look, this is not not Wizards After Dark over here. I don't know what's going on in in your, you know, I've I've immediately just cost you all of your subscribers. Every single person who listens to this podcast no longer listens to this podcast. We'll get all six of them back later. It'll be fine. (laughs) Um, All right. So obviously, you know, as I as I've stated from the top of this podcast, you know, Knox is going to talk about the Washington football team, going to talk about what's interesting to me, obviously. The NBA draft historically is something I give a crap about, but I've come to realize that it's next week and uh, I don't know anything about it. Now, I, in fairness to me, this is an incredibly weird year, breaking news for everybody who's been asleep in 2020. So the, the NBA, while the NFL calendar has been fairly normal, the NBA calendar has been all over the place, uh, as, as Fred certainly knows. So the draft is what, Tuesday or Wednesday? Wednesday, the 18th. Wednesday. Okay. So 
look, got to discuss it. Got, got, got to figure out some few things. So, so we got Fred here. Uh, he's of course our wizards uh, guru for the athletic and we're going to go through the draft to help get me up to speed. Hopefully it means it gets you guys up to speed and we'll, we'll, I'll ask Fred some, some questions about that. And we'll, we'll ask him about some other wizardry stuff also, nothing he can't prepare for, but uh, first and foremost, how, uh, how are things going? Wonderful. I feel like it must feel, I'm not a homeowner. I feel like it must feel to write off your first mortgage payment right now, because I owe you so many podcast appearances. It is out. I don't think any one person owes one person this many podcast appearances without ever having been on their podcast before. But I must, you must be, I must be like, what, 25 appearances in debt? More maybe? Um, I, I don't know about in debt. It's all good. It, it, uh, it was an opportunity to me, for me to talk about a team that I have, histor have historically given a crap about. And, uh, you know, uh, it was always, always enjoyable. Um, but yes, I'm going to, you know, if you're going to phrase like that, I will keep that in mind next time I'm like, <laughs> but, but, but the best part will be when I have you come on just to talk about the Washington football team. And then, oh, that should be fun. You can have me on to talk about the Jets. We can talk about, we can talk Jets history and the glory days of Brooks Bollinger. And if, if Sam Darnold officially gets on the uh, trading block, maybe we we, we can uh, we can do that because the uh, Jet the Jets will make sure to put Sam Darnold on the trading block right when he has absolutely no more value because that, my friend, is the Jets' way. That's wow. how they do things. I, I don't know if you've been paying attention to what's going on with, with the football team and Dwayne Haskins, but they got you beat. That's already, Maybe. Uh, that's already, uh, he's already out and about and about. Um, all right, let's get into some random stuff here. Um, what, before, before I'm going to butcher the kid's name. What's the, what, how do you pronounce the USC center's name? Anyeka Okongwu. Anyeka Okongwu. Okay. What's the better chance? Anyeka Okongwu is there for the Wizards at nine or... The Wizards trade out of nine. Ooh, I like that. Um, because my I'm sense gonna, is, while yeah. you ponder, my sense is all the mock drafts seem to have him there, and there's a reason why you'd want him. Shot blocking, center, you know, can, can, can guard multiple positions, that type of stuff. But simultaneously, uh, it also hear people saying, like, this guy shouldn't be, should be picked higher. I've seen Windhorse say he could be go higher. I heard Jonathan Gavoni on Zach Lowe's podcast say, I think he was his second favorite player in the draft, yet the mock draft all seemed to have him at nine. So Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's interesting because I think those two things kind of go hand in hand a bit. I think if a Kongwu is there, the Wizards are significantly less likely to trade down because I think he just fits what they're trying to do perfectly. He he fits every philosophy you want to go by if he falls to nine, in that he would help them immediately. He play he fits a positional need. Uh I wrote 1,700 words about him on Monday. I wrote more about him on Tuesday, and I wrote more about him on Wednesday over at the Athletic DC. Um, and I, I detailed a lot just kind of how his defense is. Rookies are almost always bad defensively. Like even rookies who become good defensive players eventually down the line are bad defensively as rookies because the defense has so much to do with the speed of the game and just kind of general refinement that rookies don't have. I think his defense is pretty NBA ready. 
not saying he'll anchor a defense right off the bat. No rookie does that, but I think he could be a helpful defender at a position that the Wizards really could use some defense and I could see him being a good role guy and all that. And I could see him just having the best career of anybody who rejects to be at nine. So he kind of checks all the boxes if he's there at nine, which by the way, if everybody thinks something is going to happen in the NBA draft and you know this as well as I do, it never happens. Yes. It's, it's never what happens. Like maybe if there's a consensus number one, number one overall pick, that's the only scenario, which it actually <laughs> happens. But when there's a consensus number nine overall pick and everyone, you're right. Everyone has the wizard sticking a Kongu. It rarely ever happens. Uh, what's interesting about it to give you a very long winded answer to your either or question is I kind of think a Kongwu's range starts with Charlotte at the number three pick and ends with the Wizards at the number nine pick. If I had, I would be very surprised if he were picked before three or after nine. Uh, I think he's somewhere in there. And what's interesting is everybody has him going nine. I think we could easily see somebody trade into the top 10. I think the Warriors could trade down. Uh, I think I could see somebody trading up to six for the Hawks pick. I'm not guessing someone is going to trade for the Pistons pick, but it wouldn't blow me out of my seat if someone did. Said trading back is a pretty specific scenario that requires specific circumstances, including the Wizards finding a deal they actually like. There are some deals that we might consider as outsiders intuitive, but the other teams have to agree to it. Um, So I'm going to say it's more likely that a Kongwu falls to nine and the Wizards draft him at nine. Even though I could easily see somebody trading into the top 10 and taking him, or just like the Hornets taking him at number three, or Atlanta, if they don't trade the pick, taking him at six, or a number of other teams taking him, Cleveland taking him, or Chicago taking him, just because he's he's a talent, man. He's good. To um he looks interesting and like it it makes a lot of sense and you know i'm not like we we talk about the wizards a lot with our boss uh david aldridge and he focuses like they gotta get defense gotta get defense gotta get defense and obviously i think they do i always view that a little bit i mean that's a i mean that's a long-term thing i just kind of view right now like they gotta get players whatever that means i don't even really care if they if they think the best player on the board is a point guard screw it. Like I really, I mean, whatever they think they can do that would make sense. So defense would be good. And obviously he makes a lot of sense, uh, but at the same point, whatever they can get, um, I'd be down with, but let me ask you this on that flip side. So the idea of trading out most likely would be trading down. I would be surprised if the wizards added pieces to move up, but you know, who knows Um, if they were to trade down, like let I like but what 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 does Boston have three number ones or two number ones in the high Boston two? has three first round picks they have 14 26 and 30 so so let's just say uh what is it a Kongu that you got it great okay <laughs> so let's just say he's he's off the board and everything else that's there is interesting but not as interesting for for the Wizards and Boston comes with this as I've seen rumored with this pick is that even something like I don't want to play the game of massive speculation i'm just trying to gauge like the like would would it make sense for the wizards to trade the ninth pick i mean i I guess my sense for this draft is that nine to 14 is not some massive difference so the player that would boston but it would want in this case would have to be somebody they think is a difference does trading out of that spot to get 
three number ones? Does that make sense for where the Wizards are at? I mean, they obviously need talent, like I'm saying, but at the same time, you know, there's something to be said for, uh, you know, picking the best player available. Yeah, yeah. So I, if I'm running the Wizards, oh boy, and I'm sitting at number nine. Yeah, oh boy, and and I'm sitting and I'm sitting at number nine, and there's not anybody I'm in love with, and I think and there's maybe some maybe there is somebody who I really like who I feel pretty good is going to fall to 14. Or maybe I just, like you said, don't think there's a very big difference between 14 and nine. Maybe at nine, I could take, let's say, uh, Devin Vassell, who projects to be a three and D wing. But I don't think that Vassell is that much better than Aaron Nismith, let's say, who is a really good shooting wing and is not going to play the defense that Vassell is, but might end up being a better high volume shooter. And I don't think there's that big of a difference. And I think I can get news method at 14. Maybe that's worth it. Uh, maybe that's worth it to trade back because you get the extra two picks out of it in this incredibly hypothetical scenario and the trade that we made up that's not on the table in real life that we know of. Um, and you don't just have to take 26 and 30. I mean, I think the trade makes sense for Boston if there's someone there who Boston really likes because Boston does not need three more young guys. They don't even have the space on their roster. Boston has a pretty full roster that it's going to be bringing back next year. And they're contenders right now, right? Like they don't need a 26th and a 30th overall pick. They could use players. And I think if you're the Wizards, the Wizards have a decent amount of bodies on the team already. You're right though. When you say like they just need players because the implication is there is they need players who are good uh and they have a lot of bodies on the team right now but what you could do you don't necessarily need three more first round picks if you're the wizards but something that you could do is you could use 26 and 30 and flip them you can combine those and flip them potentially for a rotation player who is you know maybe on the last year of his deal and and that's a little bit of a different scenario than like trading number nine for a player who's expiring. You don't want to trade number nine for a player who's expiring if you're not getting anything else back because that's trading a top 10 rookie who's expiring. That's a that's a Wizards of two, three, four years ago move, right? That's the Mike Miller yeah. trade. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the Mike Miller, Randy Foy trade. Trading number five for Mike Miller and Randy Foy when you've got a bad team anyway. That's exactly what it is. So you don't want to do that. If you want to trade number nine for a player you can have long-term team control of, that's a different conversation. I mean, that's something you can have a conversation about depending on who the player is. But trading 26 and 30 for a player who might end up being a rental when you've already got number 14 out of it, that's different. I mean, depends on who the player is, obviously. If it's some crap player then it's not worth it but you have to you can you can think about it as repurposing that deal as essentially number nine for 14 and whatever player you swing for uh 26 and 34 so so there are ways to go about a trade with boston where you could essentially make it a three-teamer or something like that but obviously teams have to agree and you have to find the player that you want and that player's team has to decide, yeah, we'll give them to you for 26 and 30. And there are a lot of variables and hypotheticals in here, but that's what the pre-draft season is for, right? Tons of hypotheticals and throwing right. stuff out there for the hell of it. Oh, that's, that's where the fun is. 
Wait, you said something before that I was it was uh, that got me thinking. You said that the Wizards kind of already have, not saying you didn't say great players, but they already have players. So I'm just looking at the roster here. Uh, uh, guys who we know will be back. I mean, barring trades, Beal, Bradley Beal, Isaac Isak Banga, Troy Brown Jr., Thomas Bryant. So that's four. Rui Hachimura, uh, Jerome Robinson. That's six. Admiral Schofield, Ish Smith. That's eight. Mo Wagner, John Wall. That's ten. I mean, beyond that, I mean, Berton's. He's a free agent, so not saying he not saying he wouldn't, but he's a free agent. Napier is a free agent. Jerry Grant, not dismissing. Garrison Matthews. I don't know what to make of him, but I mean, Gary Payton. Like those are, they could be back, but whatever. So it's basically ten guys. Is that right? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, ten guys, and I expect them to resign Berton's. Um. Yeah, they need more players. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I knew that already, but then I'm looking at just I, you know, haven't looked at the list in a while. <sighs> yeah, they need more. How players. many? How many plus defenders are on that roster? Uh, plus, plus defenders. I'll even let you say Bonga. Bonga is the closest thing to a plus defender on that roster. Right. I was gonna say that's about all we've got here. Um. And, and I don't know if Bonga for sure is going to be, I mean, Bonga just turned 21 like two days ago. I don't know if he's for sure going to be a plus defender next year. He could be, he could be, he's progressed nicely defensively. Fundamentally, he's getting a lot. He's made strides. He's a lot better. I could see him being a plus defender this year, like a legit plus defender. And if you look at the advanced numbers, the advanced numbers love him, but I do think from this past season, but I do think those numbers are a little bit skewed because the Wizards defense was so bad. And if you make just the slightest bit of difference when you're playing with defenders who are as bad as they were last year, then the advanced numbers tend to really favor you to a degree that I think is misleading. But but I think Bonga is their only net positive defender right now. Beal is capable of being fine, but we haven't seen it from him in literally years. Same thing with Wall. Um, I... I I, we haven't seen it from Hachimura. We know that Bertans isn't. We know that Wagner isn't. We know that Bryant isn't. I, I guess Troy Brown could become something better, but he's not going to be like a one-on-one stopper or anything. He'd just be like a really good team defender, that kind of stuff. They need guys who can play defense. That's why, like, every once in a while, I get commenters. Uh, I, there's one person in my comments who, who is, who is smart and respectful and has intelligent views. I always read the comments has intelligent views and will, will critique my stories every once in a while in a very respectful and, and logical and smart way. And, and this, this commenter is, is always on me that I don't mention that the wizards finished 14th in, they were 14th in points allowed per possession after they traded Isaiah Thomas. And there's a reason that I don't do that. I don't pound that home. I think that's a misleading stat. First of all, second half post-trade deadline stats are misleading and throwaway. This is the, they're the spring training stats of basketball. Second, secondly, uh, they disproportionately play terrible offenses. And, and thirdly, just look at the roster. You, defense yeah it's about hustle and effort and all the cliches sure but you know what the number one most important thing is about defense being good at defense that is the number one most important thing about defense and they don't really have 
defensive minded players. They just don't have them. So they, they could use some of those. They know they could use some of those and that's what they're going to focus on in free agency for sure. Um, for sure. I will right, we'll come back to the, to the team in it for a second, but let's, let me go back to the draft. You're familiar with the game uh, F Mary kill. I am. All right. We're going to play a, 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 a sanitized uh, NBA draft version of that. I, I just made these up. I was going to say, you're going to get me fired. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll do, we'll do that later. Um, this version, instead of F Mary kill, we'll go with draft covet cut. I don't okay. Know. Okay. Draft I, covet cut. Got it. What's the difference between draft and covet? Well, draft, you actually pick, but covet, you just sort of, you know, you like them, but draft. Is right. Better. Right. Right. Okay. All right. So here, so I got these three guys. I hopefully these are within, hopefully it's not uh, some massive difference, but we'll figure this out. Um, Tyrese Halliburton was he guard of Iowa, uh, Iowa State. Are we saying this in general of to like to give a general view of nah, for the, the player for, or just the like Wizards. if they're around at number nine? Yeah, if they're around at number nine, um, draft. Oh, well, you, don't want, you don't want to hear the other ones? Oh, oh, I thought we were just going through and giving a general. Oh, no, I'm idea giving you three them. names. You have to pick draft, covet, cut. Oh, right. I did forget how to play this game. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Give them to me. Give them to me. Give them to me. All right. Tyrese Halliburton. So guard, uh, Iowa State. Devin Vassell. He's like a wing from Florida State. And this is the one I'm not sure if he exactly fits. Killian Hayes. He's been playing over in Germany, but he's picked. He's he seemed to be slotted in that late, uh, you know, that 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 lady or lottery area. What Mm -hmm. do you got? So it's a good crew. I'm gonna cut. Killian Hayes um, for the Wizards just because I struggle. He's a really pick and roll reliant point guard. And I don't think they're in a spot where like you don't draft a point guard because of John Wall. But I do think if you have John Wall under contract for three years, it's just going to hinder that dude's development. Like he's not going to develop how you want him to when you've got John Wall and Bradley Beal handling the ball all the time. Even if you end up having a trade Beal, you've still got Wall. And and Hayes is like a really pick-and-roll reliant point guard. He's a good passer, and I could see him being a nice player. I just – I don't see how that development how, – how that team fosters his development as well as some other situations. So I'm going to I'm gonna cut Hayes. Um, Halliburton and Vassell are interesting because they're, they're different. Halliburton has the higher ceiling. I think Vassell has the higher floor. I, I really like, I'm going to go, I'm going to covet Vassell and draft Halliburton, though it's really close. Um, I probably like Vassell more than the average person. I'm a little scared by that viral Twitter video of his new shooting form, which looks a little too Mark Kelfolzi for my liking. And I think Halliburton has the chance of being a, a better player. Um, like he has a gear that Vassell's not going to hit because Halliburton can be, I don't think he's a full-on point guard. I think he's capable of playing point guard at moments. I think he's a very, he could be a very good secondary creator, but I don't think he's a full-on point guard. I think he'll be good off the ball. He can catch and shoot. I think he's, he, he's, he has a trait, which I, really, really value in basketball players. And I feel the same way about a Kongu, by the way. 
which is that he is really good at making good decisions quickly. And I think that's a very underrated trait in basketball. Guys who are just really good at making the right decision and doing it very quickly. Okay. If you're like, in general, I will take the high instinct guy over the other guy. Like it's why yeah, I like, but I think Vassell has really good instincts too. Like he has watch him on defense. He has really good defensive instincts. That's why it's hard. I just, I think with Halliburton, he has the skill set to be able to put the good decision-making on offense more to use. So with like Vassell, Vassell is going to be he's going to be a good team defender. He's going to get in passing lanes. He's going to guard guys one-on-one. He's long, he's athletic. He can leap. He can do all those things, but he kind of ran some stuff with the ball in college, but I don't think that's going to be his role in the NBA. Halliburton is like, you can have this guy making good decisions while running pick and rolls for your offense. You know, I just think that's a higher ceiling on his good decision-making. Uh, even though I, I, I don't think he quite has like the athleticism of Vassell defensively. And I could see Vassell being a better one-on-one defender. Um, I think Halliburton's got the higher ceiling. So at number nine, I'll go with him, but I, I do really like Vassell. I really like him. All right. No, I interrupted. I interrupted you. Nah, I don't think so. <laughs> I like this game. This is a good idea. Um, all right. So Wait, what are you, do you have an opinion? No, I have no opinions on like any, I, I swear I'm not, well, <laughs> like this was like, this was the least amount I watched college basketball this year. Again, the, you know, for me, I mean, for, you know, some people who are listening know my journey, but like, I, you know, I always covered every team in town and a lot of basketball, but you know, the football team kept me busy and then there was no NCAA tournament this year. So that was my chance. And this is also such a weird year. I mean, LaMelo ball played overseas. Wiseman was, it was overseas. Not that these guys were talking about, but like, I, I just didn't watch that much. If, basically if they weren't playing Georgetown, <laughs> I didn't see it. Um, and uh, you know, it just, you know, I just have had no time to, uh, to, 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 to do the usual homework and it's not my job to, so I didn't do it. Um, well, well, if it makes you feel any better, like, I'm probably wrong about all of this. <laughs> like I, I didn't watch that much college basketball this year either. My, my opinions are based on watching stuff after the season's done and catching up and developing my opinions so I can cover the draft. Like I'm no prospect expert. I'm, I'm probably horribly wrong. Like Wait. now that I say that we're going to look back on this and be like, they really should have drafted Killian Hayes. If there if there's somebody out there who's already become a super fan of the podcast and wants to keep track of Fred's predictions so we can bring them up later, that would be great. Um, there was there was someone who listens to my podcast. This was last season, well, two seasons ago. You came on my podcast. It must have been like might have been the All Star break. Oh, and I picked and I picked like a bunch of games in a row. Yeah, we went through. Um, we went through the remaining schedule and you just picked win or loss, win or loss for every game the rest of the year. And I had no idea until I was scrolling through Reddit like a month later and somebody posted, do you guys realize that Ben Standig went on Fred's podcast and every single game so far that he's predicted has been correct. It was like 15 games or something. <laughs> uh, you know, if, if, if only I'd gone to Vegas, right? I know an unbelievable run. Was, I forget I, I, you didn't make it the whole year. No, we were, we no. were keeping track after the streak broke at some point. Yeah, I think like once we once we heard that this was a thing, I think things fell yeah. uh, fell apart. But you made it long enough to where like 
I was excited. Like, I was like, you could make it the whole year. Like, this is looking, you're not the favorite. Like, I would bet against you making it the whole year, but you could. This this could happen. Yeah. Look, if you can make it on Reddit as a topic for reasons that involve that don't involve, like, you know, bad, bad Zoom moments, you're, you're, you're doing good. <laughs> um, all right, let's do it. one more of these, but this time we'll go at the tippy top. We'll go through this one quick. So, again, uh, draft, covet, cut. LaMelo Ball, James Wiseman, Anthony Edwards. These seem to be the consensus top three. Could be that order, I just said. Maybe it's a different order. It's the exact order you said. The exact order. So you're drafting LaMelo Ball, coveting James Wiseman, and cutting Anthony Edwards. Let me just say this first. Whether LaMelo Ball goes one, two, or whatever, you know, all the heat that LaVar Ball took, and you can question – whatever you want, the way he handled things or, or, you know, whatever, that he had at the point that he, I mean, Lonzo at that point, when, when, when the ball started becoming a thing was already on the verge of becoming uh, a, a really good player for, for, for UCLA. LaMelo was still way back. And the fact that he's going to have two kids go top two in the NBA draft, talking all that junk and listening to all that crap, Again, you can, whatever, that is nuts. I agree. Two brothers being insanely high picks in the NBA draft is amazing. Amazing. I mean, you know. But nobody wants to really approach it that way. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, he talked so much junk. I tweeted out earlier. That that famous picture of of Lavar strutting onto some ESPN set, and I'm at, and I said if he if Lamella goes one, how does Lavar top this walk? Come on, draft night. I mean, <laughs> well, I I think he's gonna have to think of a way to top it because I I think I think Lamella's going one. Yeah, I mean, it seems I guess like that's a consensus. I saw a report thing from ESPN or somewhere that, or I don't know, maybe maybe we had it, but. Uh, that that the, that the Timberwolves who have the first pick were had, were had a private workout with with Lamelo and that doesn't mean anything per se but obviously you want to if you want to rather than make an investment you need to uh, you need to get to, to know this guy. Um, uh, other than the fact that the order, did you actually have any concerns with any of the three? I mean, it's such a weird draft. I mean, the number one pick was a guy that was in playing overseas. The second guy barely played as a freshman, and the third guy. Showed he could score a lot, but he played for a, a not a not a not such a good team. And you know, there, there's some there's I've heard some concerns about uh, you know sort of how you know I guess to some degree how like raw he is or whatever. So you've like any, any actual concerns, or they just hey, there's the top three picks. You can't everybody can't go one. I mean, to be honest, I have concerns about all. Of them. Like, I'm concerned about Lamelo Ball shooting. His shooting numbers are horrific, and he takes really bad shots. And I'm concerned about that. And quite honestly, I don't have a very deep opinion on James Wiseman because I've seen him play three college, ba- meaningless college basketball games and then never play again. Right. And that is the, everything I've seen from James Wiseman. And he dominated those games, which is a lot better than if he just looked like crap in those games. He looked freaking unreal in those games you look like an absolute monster i've seen three games from him and you know i i wonder if james wiseman is this isn't really an original take but i wonder if he's like the 
the modern relic where people think of the throwback big man as like the 90s big man who posted up and stuff and, and Wiseman's not that but I wonder if he's like the 2014 big man where it's just like he's a pick and roll guy and he's he's not gonna play make not really a passer people think of guys as having to be stretch bigs now in reality if you're picking number two number one what you really want is a guy who can play make the guy who can guard from the rim and all those other things and I have questions about whether Wiseman can do that and if you're going to draft guy number two you probably hope that he can do those sorts of things uh and with with Edwards I I I have a lot of question marks. I mean, I just wonder about his shot selection and his aggressive, his aggression. Like he has so many pull-up twos and his basketball habits are just kind of wonky. And with some of those things, like LaMelo Ball kind of has wonky basketball habits too, but he's an unbelievable passer. And, and I wonder, like, I don't know, to me, the most amazing thing about scouts is when they can look at in any sport is when they can look at, is not when they can look at a guy and say, that guy's good at this. Like I can watch one game of LaMelo ball, be like, that guy is a great passer, you know, not hard. What's amazing is when they look at a guy and say, that guy is really bad at this, but he's going to be good. And that to me is the really hard thing. So they could say, Hey, LaMelo ball is a really bad shooter, but he's going to be good. Anthony Edwards has really bad shot selection and is really unaggressive and kind of has too many Andrew Wiggins vibes, but that's going to change. Or James Wiseman is not really a passer, but he's going to learn how to play. He's going to shoot threes and he's going to be more defensively mobile than you think. And like, I'm not, by the way, I'm not saying that Wiseman is immobile. That's not the case. Um, Those kind of things I'm not sure about, but like, those are all things I'm concerned about. Like there's, there's not a guy who I look at. I'm like, there's not a Zion. I'm like, that dude is a star or even a jaw. I'm like, that dude's going to be awesome. Like, that's just not, it's not there. Gotcha. All right. Um, I, I got, we got, we got a few more questions here with uh, my, my, my guy, Fred Katz, my, uh, cohort with the uh, DC athletic. Well, let me, let me go. We'll, we'll jump out of the first round. Let's go to the second round because Fred likes nothing more than making wild predictions about what's going to happen at pick 37. <laughs> um, we won't go with any player. I mean, you can, you can look at the uh, mock drafts and, and see some names, but here's my question. So if you just view the second round pick, like I always try to view it, like pick 37 is a borderline first round pick. It's only a few steps out of there. So it's conceivable. You get a guy who's a legitimate talent but I always try to view second round picks as what's my need can I find a guy 10 minutes a game can I find somebody who could play a role for my team in some way maybe it's a specific position maybe it's a uh, we talked before about defense uh, three-point shooter something somebody who can do something uh you know it doesn't be a starter somebody can do something so with that in mind and obviously we don't know what the first round pick would be what's your what's your prediction or, or what's your what's your take on what that thing is that they would need the most at the second round position or need? So I I think you're probably most likely to get a shooter there. 
that that's kind of what you see the most with these second rounders who's surprise in their rookie year in recent years. Those dudes who come out and you're like, oh, whoa, this guy can hit 42 from three. Um, now, the league has evolved and you have a lot of good teams at the end of the draft and they're good often because they're smart and those smart teams might scoop up a lot of shooters and I might be totally wrong and all the good shooters might be gone by then. But there's some depth to this draft. And I think if you can get kind of a young, obviously cheap shooter in that area, you're okay. But again, like this, I shouldn't say again, I don't think I said it yet. It, it's so, it's such a crapshoot, especially in the second round that like, I don't know. It, I, I think in the second round, you just go with a guy you really believe in. And I will say, 37 is a pretty good second round pick. Yeah. Like, and, and it shouldn't go overlooked for what it's worth because you and I were both somewhat critical of this transaction when it happened, that that's the second rounder the Wizards got in the Thomas Sadoransky sign-in trade. So it's not like Thomas Sadoransky left for nothing. 37, like, you can get a player at 37. Players have come and been contributors to teams. Maybe not right away, but players have come and been contributors to teams at 37. And for what it's worth, you can't judge one team off of one draft pick because great teams, great drafting teams are wrong all the time. And bad drafting teams are right sometimes. Um, But the teams that are good at drafting and the teams that prioritize improving on the margins. And we both know that Tommy Shepard does prioritize improving on the margins. That's a big talking point of his being able to cast a wide net, trying to find young talent and scooping up Jerome Robinson for nothing and scooping up Wagner and Bonga for nothing. And that kind of stuff. We know that he prioritizes that stuff getting, even when Sadoransky leaves, getting, getting those second rounders, right. Getting this 37th pick and that sign and trade as opposed to him just walking away for nothing and getting even the trade exceptions that he got in those moves. So we know he does prioritize those things, but the ability to execute on those things is what makes finding, you know, makes prioritizing those things worth it. If you can want to improve on the margins all you want, but if you don't execute on it, then you're in trouble. So at some point, the Wizards will have to hit on these second round picks that Tommy Shepard is scooping up. Not all of them, not even most of them, but they'll have to hit on one or two of them because otherwise, what are you doing? Or maybe you flip them for something of value too because second round picks can be currency too. And getting back to the pick, 37th pick is a pretty good pick. Not only because you can find talent there, but also because like the 29th pick, the 30th pick, the talent might not be that different But when you're in the second round, you don't have to give them a guaranteed contract. Like, I think you can make a really strong argument that pick number 32 is better than pick number 29. Because pick number 32, you can really give out a team-friendly contract with a lot of non-guarantees. And pick number 29, you're giving out guaranteed first-round money at a higher salary. So 37, you get that contract advantage too. And, And this is, 37 is a pretty nice opportunity for to try to scoop up something you can get a player there and i 
I, I would not, I say I wouldn't fall off my seat if some other things happened. I wouldn't fall out of my seat if they bought a second round pick either. Uh, yeah, no, I, that was one of my favorite things they, uh, they, they, they did last year was getting that. Uh... Of course it was. Uh, look, I, I believe in playing all nine innings, and it drives me crazy when teams, uh, you know, or I guess in this case, all, all 48 minutes. I mean, it drives me crazy when teams don't do that, which they have historically not done uh, in multiple ways, you know, selling the second round picks or, you know, some other random stuff. Um, yeah, I, I mean, just just thinking about the roster, while I'm saying the second round, you know, I'm not like, going crazy in terms of taking more or less the best player available in some capacity, but boy, did they really, that, that wing situation is really rough beyond, uh, beyond Bradley Beal. Like they've, I mean, it's, it is, they just don't really have them. I mean, like, I don't think Troy Brown's a wing, you know, he's, he's more of a combo guard. Um, you know, you got John Wall on the perimeter. He's a point guard. You got a Smith on the perimeter. He's a point guard. Rui Hachimura is not a wing. I don't think they view him as a three as much as Jared Dudley wants to tweet that he is one. Uh, I, I don't believe at all that he's a three. I think Rui Hachimura is a big. Uh, and as long as he's neither a playmaker nor a three-point shooter, he'll be a big. Davis Bertans is also kind of plays the same position as Rui. He's a, he's a four five. Thomas Bryan is a five. Mo Wagner is a five. Uh they don't really have a yes it is the age of positionless basketball, but it's not the age of role-less basketball. And that's kind of what we're talking about when we say they need a wing, right? They need somebody who can guard big wings. They need somebody who can maybe shoot some threes from that position and who can maybe do some playmaking from that position. That's a lot to ask. They're probably not going to get somebody who can do all those three things, but maybe you can find somebody who can do two. I mean, at a base level, when you when you talk about put your best five guys out on the court, is there a three that they can use? And it doesn't seem like at the moment that that would be a lot. I mean, maybe maybe technically they would be their best five based on the talent available. But like there just doesn't feel right now like there is that guy. You're going to hope that Rui Hachimura is one of those guys. Otherwise, that's a problem. And yeah, I mean, in in this first round pick this year, possibly the same. But then it's just positionally. I don't know who else. uh, who, who, who else they got? Um, yeah, I mean, look, right right now, like, if they draft Isaac Okoro at number nine, he could start at the three. I mean, then you just start Beal, Wall, Hachimura, Okoro, and Thomas Bryant, or maybe whoever their center is next year. They've got the mid-level exception. They can use that to sign a three. They can, they can try to sign, you know, Derek Jones Jr. or something like that in free agency. There aren't a ton of players that we're talking about like really wingy players that I think are going to be available for the MLE. There are way more centers that are available for the MLE. You know, we talked about scenarios where they could try to make trades too. If, if you draft a center or you sign a center, try to flip Thomas Bryant and see if it can get you some kind of a three, try to flip somebody else and see if we can get you some kind of a three. So there, there are scenarios. I, I think they will be on the prowl a player like that they haven't been as as openly on the prowl for one as they have been for a rim protector but i'm with you like they this is the nba in 2020 you you need you need wings it's what this league is all about long stretchy athletic playmaking three-point shooting defending wings i mean those are the ideal players and again you're not going to get that because that is a ridiculously high paid player if you can do all those things and is all those things but you want to try to scoop up as many of those attributes as you can 
Got it. All right. So I have one, I have another question with regards to the current wizard, but th this is the part of the podcast where I ask the guests completely random questions uh, about God knows what, and you're allowed to ask me one random question back when we're done, either something I've asked okay. you or, or something else. I meant to tell you that before, but I forgot. Uh, first right. question. I have nothing prepared. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> per person you wish followed you on Twitter that doesn't. Oh, um, my, my pad answer is Rihanna. I mean, that's a good swing pick. <laughs> uh, Barack Obama, dude. Okay, he follows like a half a million people. I know, and, and, and I look sometimes like I'll pull up a random person who has like you know fifty followers, and like he's following them. I'm like, what? I'm like waving. Like, what? 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 What are you gonna do? You follow everybody. I, what? What? I got? I've already verified. Let's go. I know. Follows everyone in the world. I want the follow. Right. I feel I like I want that. the follow. I feel left out. Right. I don't know who's making that call, but yes, I agree. We, we need to work on that. Um, who Who is uh, your all-time favorite athlete? Um, Derek Jeter. All right. That's fair enough. Um, <laughs> that, that was an easy one. That was an easy one. Please. I grew up in the 90s in New York. You grew up in the 90s in New York. Your favorite athlete is Derek Jeter. Understood. Period. I interviewed him once at over the Yankees played at Nats and I had a something I forget something I think Ozzie Gian did something weird and like I was helping the AP out that day and they asked go ask Derek Jeter what he's about this and um I didn't know who I am and never saw him before he couldn't have been like within within 30 seconds I'm like I get it, I get it like he was like super <laughs> super super charming so, you know it was like really like down to earth I'm like okay got it Figure, I, I, I get it when I was seven years old my mom, so when I was seven years old, uh, I was out with my grandfather and we saw Derek Jeter. I was obsessed with the Yankees, just totally and completely obsessed. But I was an idiot. Okay. And I was seven. My grandfather was like, go up to him, get his, get his autograph. It was him, he and Jorge Posada were together. So I went up to Jeter and Jorge Posada. I still remember this because it was such a huge moment for me. Sure. Um, I go up to Jeter and Jorge Posada and they couldn't have, you know, I was seven years old. What are they going to do? Be a jerk. They, they, they like, you know, they, in my memory, they couldn't have been nicer. They, they talked to me for a few minutes and, you know, interrupted what they were doing and asked me if I was a Yankee fan. And I was just so giddy and they were, they're both so nice. And I had a little notepad with me and they both gave me their autograph. And to this day, I, I thought my reaction was, oh, this is amazing. When I meet every Yankee, I'll put it in this book. Thinking I was just like, because I saw Derek Jeter and Jorge Posada, that now I'm just going to see sure. all the Yankees when obviously I never saw a Yankee ever again. And, and so I wrote a headline, a heading at the top of the page with the autograph. And I wrote Yankees at the top to kind of categorize it because my seven-year-old ADD had me do it. I spelled Yankees, Y-A-N-K-E-Y-S. Sure. And completely ruined the autograph. So I have a framed piece of lined notebook paper with Derek Jeter and Ori Posada's autographs on it that says Y-A-N-K-E-Y-S through the autograph, through the autograph. 
And my mom still, whenever she mentions the Yankees to me in a text, spells it Y-A-N-K-E-Y-S. Because uh, I was an idiot seven-year-old. That's uh, that that's pretty good. I'll 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 I'll, I'll put my question on hold. I'll, I'll I have a, this is a minor, not the same story, but very in, ter in terms of the idea of like you ruined the autograph. Um, I my dad uh, grew up in in New York a uh, hundred thousand years ago, and uh, so uh, he was a, a Joe DiMaggio fan. And uh, at some card show in town, uh, he saw that Joe DiMaggio was going to be there. So he takes me. I don't know how old I am, kid, whatever. And so I get a Joe DiMaggio autograph. It's literally right here. Awesome. I'm showing you the Fred on Zoom. <laughs> so I so I had this thing. So like every time, sort of what you're saying, like when I would then go to other events where baseball players would be, I'd be like, oh, I'm gonna get other baseball players to sign this ball. And uh, I was they used to have uh, the old Major League Baseball old timers game. They would hold it here at uh, the RFK Stadium, which is no longer really a thing. But so I was down like near the field and like players signing autographs. And I didn't, I, I, there was like random players around and I, I, I didn't really think I wanted them to sign this ball but I didn't have like a pen on me and like whoever I was with wasn't with me. So I handed the ball and I'm trying to remember who it was. I, I'm blanking on the name, but it was a guy who was like, you know, worthy enough of being in this game but not a guy who was going to Cooperstown by any stretch of the imagination. So I see, you know, handed the ball. I must've handed it to him in such a way that he immediately saw the, the, the autograph he looks at it he goes is that joe dimaggio and i'm like yeah he goes dude here take this away from me you do not want me signing this <laughs> thank god because oh, I, I can't remember his name right now and that would have been an absolute disaster i do have this that's ball. my that's my new favorite player i don't even know who that I, was I, i'll think of it later i do have this ball signed by bob feller and ernie banks i probably still ruined it on some level because dimaggio should be by itself but at least those guys are uh, i mean bob feller and ernie banks are legends at least yeah 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 yeah. but that um, is funny <laughs> yeah i was like that guy yeah. had the self-awareness that's no, it, hilarious yeah that, that that was off the charts a huge uh, a huge win for me uh there um all right let me get back to these ridiculously uh questions music act you've seen the most live in your life um john mayer followed by bruce springsteen uh, big big L for me. I've never seen Springsteen. Not really sure how this is happening, especially since, I'm a, especially since I'm a sports writer. I think that's by law. Huge yeah, L. I mean, he's insane live. He's unreal. Based based on a hobby or a habit, what's a Hall of Fame you qualify to enter? Um. Ooh, what is a Hall of Fame that I qualify to enter? What is what is your answer to this? Um, my, my sarcastic answer is procrastinating. <laughs> um, I right, was really, I've, I've I was really good at, but before, before the, uh, before they had Tiger Woods golf on PlayStation, the, the PGA version of that, I was stroking 59s with regularity. All right. I got one. I, I feel like this is going to piss people off because people are so anti raisins eating, eating chocolate covered raisins. Wow. When you said you're pissed people off because people are anti-raisin, I was like, where's he going? Raisin? Okay. okay. <laughs> eating chocolate-covered raisins. I, I think I can be in a eating chocolate-covered raisins. Like, I could be a Joe, the Joey Chestnut if eating chocolate-covered raisins. All right, we, we may have to. And, uh, and goldfish. And goldfish. 
I can just like, you know, those like huge cartons of goldfish that you buy at like Costco. Yeah. I can just like knock one out. Well, we got to stop talking about food because as I told Fred earlier, I'm on a weird diet right now and this is not a good conversation. Um, <laughs> this, this one feels like, this, this one feels like a Fred, a Fred question. If you could, if, you, if I told you, you had, you, you could rename earth as in to one of the other names of the planets, because I feel that earth is way down on the list of the actual names of the planets. Mercury is way better. Jupiter, Saturn, I could argue Venus, you know, Uranus is a whole other problem. But like, <laughs> there's a lot of names that are way better than Earth, which is also I, I, apparently is the only planet that wasn't named after a Greek or Roman god or goddess. So if you could, would you rename Earth? And if so, which would you, which other planet would you pick? I would, I would, I would name it after one of the astronomy gods. Like I would name it after one of the one of the gods of science. I would name it Galileo, or or I would name it something along those lines. One of the one of the old original astronomers. What what about the big? What about just call it the Earth, the big Aristotle? <laughs> name it after Shaq. What if you just had Shaq name Earth? Oh God. <laughs> and Shaq can like change the name of Earth every three years, like he did with his own nicknames. Well, uh, as long as it's like Shaq in a year, not... it'll be Earth Diesel. Right. As long as it's Shaq <laughs> and not Dwight Howard doing this, I'm I'd be alright with that. <laughs> yeah, you know, what? I changed my mind. Just have Shaq name Earth every two years. The, 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 this this may be like when I do the tweet, like what random things we talk about. Um, that may be the thing. Why Shaq should rename Earth? Um, all right, last one. This spits us back into the wizard's uh, orbit. Uh, no intended. Uh, I kind of worked that one out. Um, <laughs> who you already mentioned that you think Davos Bertans will be back this this year, and you know they've obviously made it very clear they intend on bringing him back. It will it'll be interesting to see what his market is, considering you know it's not a great free agency class and the NBA. Uh, um, you know, the, 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 everybody's, you know, take, everybody's taking a, a financial hit this year because of the, the pandemic. Who is who is more likely to be on the Wizards next season? Davis Bertans or Bradley Beal? Because obviously, Beal. so the so the idea, so you think basically by saying that you don't think he's getting, there's no chance, not no chance, but him getting traded, people can talk about it, but you don't think it's happening. Because otherwise, it, he obviously could garner a lot in a trade and Bertans is, Look, we just have to give you a pile of money. If they were going to trade him this offseason, they would be trying to do it. We'd have some idea about it. They'd be, they'd be trying to do something at the draft. Uh, I don't think they have any intention of trading him right now. Now, I can't tell the future. That could change by the deadline, depending on what happens with the team and with Beal and with everything else. But I don't think they have any intention of trading him. I don't think he's asked to be traded. And I think certainly if he hasn't asked to be traded, they're not just going to do it right now when he's got two years left on his deal. I also think just breaking down the spirit of the question, um, if they're trading Beal, they're less likely to give Bertons a big contract. Like they still might be likely to resign it for a value contract, but if some team comes out there and offers them, if Atlanta is like, you know what, we'll give you 19 million a year, the Wizards are less likely to actually 
say, yeah, we'll give you 19 million to come back too if they don't think that's a good value contract for Bertans. You know what's weird about Bertans? He has torn his ACL multiple times and nobody talks about it. Like nobody wonders about the health risk of signing him to a potentially four-year deal just because he was mostly healthy last year. But even so, he still had some injuries. And like he's torn his ACL multiple times. I'm not a doctor. And even if I were, I haven't looked through his medical charts. But like you'd think that would be a thing that people would talk about more. Whenever anybody else has multiple torn ACLs, major knee injuries in their history, people talk about it when they're an upcoming free agent. It's like, I'm probably part of the problem too, where I, I you know, I'm the, I'm a beat writer for the team and I, I don't really mention it very often. I was thinking about it the other day. It's like, people don't really, why do you think that is? No one talks about Bertans having like a history of serious knee injuries. Oh, that's a good that's a good point i don't think about it i think when i think of him and body i think of his finger situation so that yeah. that, that, that 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 may <laughs> stop me from going uh anywhere else and also he doesn't like based on what he does like you know this more or less catch and shoot type guy that you know uh you don't view it like he's oh well he's gonna be running around even though obviously you're playing basketball and you're running around no matter what no matter what um no matter what's happening all right that's um, a good point I have uh, I've kept you and your fancy microphone uh, uh, away from your uh, your real life long enough. Uh, as you always ask me when we finish these things, anything you want to uh, tell people? You, I mean, you told me the other day you'll be writing every day between now and the end of the NBA season, more or less. So. Yeah, yeah. I actually pushed back a story an extra day, so I have nothing for Thursday now. But I have right now. I had a story about Onyeka Kongwu on. Monday, you can check all this stuff out at the Athletic DC. I had reaction to John Hollinger's mock draft that was up. I had some stuff about uh, Precious Achua and the possibility of maybe the Wizards trading down and drafting him. Now that might work if they tried to negotiate a trade with Boston that we talked about here, you know, nine for 14, 26, and 30, and the pros and cons of that. Uh, I will have two stories Later this week, I believe they'll be out Friday, Saturday, um, just guys who the Wizards could pursue in free agency, wings they could pursue, centers they could pursue. I'll have a big offseason, comprehensive offseason preview out next week before the draft and before free agency, because the draft is the 18th and free agency is the 20th. And then I will probably be writing so much that my fingertips will be calloused from my keyboard during free agency. So, yeah, a lot of stuff. I'm busy. It's a good time to be busy. It's a good time to be covering the NBA. Um, yeah, you can get all that at the Athletic DC. All right, go go do that. If you really want really bad uh, puns, go follow Fred on Twitter. <laughs> Wait, I don't have your hit. What's your what's your Twitter handle in front of me? Just, Fred, just Fred Katz. But but not just Fred Katz. But no, yeah, Fred Katz. at Fred Katz. Got it. Um, I'm always glad when people don't have like an underscore or don't have to like add something else to their name. Like I'm, I'm proud of people who just get their name because it's I got like, it quick. Uh, some people have like underscores like Matt Paris. Oh, by the way, I should tell you this since you're on this podcast, I did this thing the other, so I had Matt Paris on the other day, Washington times reporter primarily covers the football team, but also does some wizard stuff. I asked him the question. Yeah, great dude. I asked him the question who uh, the Twitter question, who you wish followed you that doesn't. And you know what his answer was? But you. 
<laughs> I have him. I have him on my list. That's I, told, I said, I was like, well, Matt, here's the deal. You, you tweet too much about a sport Fred could care less about. Exactly. That's exactly why I don't follow him. It's because right. he tweets so much about the Washington football. Right. You, you would unfollow me if like, it was like, you know, my, sure to do so. Yeah. Yeah. I have him. I have him on my wizards list. And I'm very impersonal with my followers. I follow NBA people and I follow news reporters who I like. And there are a lot of followers who I followed early, people who I followed early in Twitter, who I regret because I don't like my followers to go over 700. So I can be kind of ruthless. I'm at like 680 something now. And if I get up into the 690s, I'll go and I'll, I'll unfollow like 15 people. I, I'm I'm the same way, except similar to my, my regular diet, I slip and all of a sudden I'm at 1300. And I'm like, because this is also when you when you're trying to cover like multiple sports, and I look at my list, I'm like, right. I but I also like if, if somebody follows me back, I may mute them. Sorry, people, but like I, it's, I'm not gonna unfollow somebody if they follow me unless you're just an absolute asshole or something. Yeah, uh, so yeah. So that's why my list is is too high. But yeah, so the fo- the football people who I follow are just Jets people and you, and maybe one or two national people, but I don't follow any beat writers from any other teams. I don't need that clogging up my timeline. No, I recently did a little bit of a purge with some NBA folks, but okay, look, I'm paying attention, but I don't need, uh, you know, I don't want to say any teams, but like I don't need yes. uh, some Western Conference team. The Wizards might not even play this year, with depending on the craziness. All right, but see, even even before you told me that about Matt, I interrupted you when you said his name to say, "Great dude," so you know it's nothing personal. Yes, correct. <laughs> um, all right, man, appreciate it. See ya. All right, there you have it. That's some nearly two hours of high-quality podcasting uh, about Washington, D.C. sports in the books. I don't know about that. But I enjoyed it. Uh, Many thanks to Les Carpenter with the Washington Post and Fred Katz, my colleague with The Athletic. And, of course, as always, many thanks to everybody here for listening and subscribing to the Standing Room Only podcast. Of course, I, I always forget to mention, you know, I shouldn't say I always forget to mention, but, of course, check out my work on The Athletic. Uh, appreciated the support there big time since that's where the that's where the that's where the paycheck is this is labor of love that's the actual uh the, the real the, the real work but either way it all works together uh and i really appreciate everybody checking it out again you could follow me on twitter at ben standig hit me up uh, let's talk you you got questions thoughts about the washington football team the wizards this week with the nba draft i'm down with all of it it was you know georgetown put out a schedule I actually did a podcast over on the, with the Casual Hoya podcast on that this week. You can find me talking there, and I'm sure I'll be on the radio as well this week. So you won't be tired of me yet, or I'm sorry, you won't, you won't be lacking of me yet. You might be tired of me, but, you know, nah, come on. We're having fun as much as we can during a pandemic and a, covering a team that's two and seven, but we're trying. All right, that's it for now. No more no more uh, banter from me. Uh, really appreciate it, guys. We'll talk soon. Ben Standick signing off. Until next time.